Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Maria Palma Smith. She is a certified Catholic life coach, an Italian translator who recently finished the translating of the autobiography of Servant of God, Father Don DeLindo. Uh, author of The Surrender Novena, which is set to be published uh, kind of in the summer of next year. Is that right, Maria? That is true. Yes. So I've been, my wife and I have been praying The Surrender Novena probably nonstop for the last four or five years. Um, wow. Um, and, uh, you know, something we do, you know, just as a couple every evening before we go to bed. And so we pretty much have it memorized, but it, it, it's such a beautiful novena. But before we get into that, um, what kind of drew you to Father Delindo Rotolo? Well, actually, I did not really know about him, but I was giving this task to do this translation about five years ago. So it has been taking me a number of years to get through it and review it and revise it and really come with a copy that will be published next year. I didn't know him well, but when I started translating... I got to know him better and better as I reviewed the the work that I was doing. And I became very, 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 very attached to him and very devoted to him. And the Surrender Novena as well, it is so powerful. And even just a few of the phrases, I can even meditate on them or repeat them to myself. Like one of them is, be glorified in my needs. So when things are going wrong and all these problems, we're saying to God, be glorified in all the things that I'm so needy. And just little parts of the Surrender Novena, you can really take and just apply them to your life. And they bring so much comfort. And it really is practical. You know, there's there's some lines like, you know, you're not sick people who ask the doctor to cure you, but rather sick people tell the doctor how to, right? I mean, things that really happen in an ordinary life. I mean, it really is written for for easy uh, to be understood, but really practical in our own lives, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because what we want to do, especially in our modern times, I think more than ever before, because we're so used to figuring out our problems and solving our problems and finding this person or that person who can help us fix everything. And like, we want these quick fixes. And instead, it's a surrender. And really, I think modern man in the last century or so is just not used to that, is not used to saying, I don't know what to do. Jesus, you take over, you take care of everything. No, we're like, no, I can call this person. I'm going to go talk to that person. I'm going to find this lawyer, that doctor, that counselor. Yeah. So it's really something that we're just not used to surrendering. And that's really the message for always to surrender to God with, with the Jewish, the chosen people, the Jews, all the way to, to the Christians and Catholics. It's really surrendering our will to God. And that's the hardest thing. And Father Delindo shows us because he did that in his life. He had to surrender to God's will because he was very much persecuted by the church that he loved so much and was always faithful to. Well, and he, you know, as you said, he lived it out. And even, even in his early life, right, we hear about, you know, the struggles of his family, you know, he had poor health. Uh, but, you yes. know, it was really fascinating to to read about, you know, he wasn't, uh, you know, in his own 
you know, in, in today's world, a mental giant, but he, he received the gift of infused knowledge. Maybe you can talk about that a little bit. That is just a fascinating story. Yes, that is. That is indeed. Yeah. Um, well, first, he did grow up, as you said, he had a very difficult childhood. His father did not treat him kindly. And as a matter of fact, his parents actually separated. And the mother went to live with a brother taking the children with her, which is something very unusual way back in the late 1800s in Italy, extremely rare. And still that happened because it was just not a good situation. And um, and so I think, you know, even part of that, because the home life was so stressful, he lived really in fear of his father and and um, and the father did not really want them to learn well. So, I mean, there were a lot of issues going there, going on there. So when the parents separated. And there was no divorce whatsoever in Italy at the time. I don't believe the divorce was legalized until the 1970, I think, 1972, somewhere around there. So there was no no divorce, but they did separate. And when they separated, the mother put the two older boys, Delindo and his older brother, in a minor seminary. I believe Delindo was about 14, 13, 14 at the time, and his brother a little bit older. And one day when the seminary, he was so lost and confused. He really just was very immature for his age. And he really was not very smart. He just could not figure out how to do it. All he could do is memorize. He had no idea what he was memorizing. He could just memorize things, but he didn't know how to put them together. He didn't know how to explain them. He just could not really learn properly. He just could memorize. And then he was kneeling with his class because it was a minor seminary high school. He was um, kneeling with the rest of his class. And in front of him, just placed in front of some books, just um, positioned there, was an image of Our Lady. And actually underneath it, it says it in Italian, uh, Madonna della Sapienza, which means Our Lady of Wisdom. And he was kneeling beneath that saying the rosary with the rest of the, the students there. And he said, and he prayed, he said, oh, oh, Mama Mary, if you really want me to be a priest, you're going to have to do something about it because you know how stupid I am. And all of a sudden, as he's saying this, he's kind of felt drowsy, but then the card fell. He said, I don't know what it was. Was it a breeze? What? The card fell because it was only placed up there on the shelf. It fell. It hit him on the forehead. He said, I, I, just woke up suddenly and all of a sudden I could discuss philosophy and things I had never studied before using the correct terminology. It is a, it is a fascinating story. And I do encourage people to look up father Delindo online. There's, there's videos, there's a lot of things about his life that so people can get acclimated to him. And I would highly recommend, I I mean, I can't wait to get the autobiography uh, to read it sometime this summer, hopefully. But, you know, we also he's known for this prophecy, right? The, this prophecy from about the Virgin Mary, you know, who must lead us back to Jesus because the world is so far from him. Right. There's a hurricane or storm that's going to come over the world, but it's going to hit the church first. It really is, uh, you know, an eye opening prophecy that reminds us just how bad things are, but what we're going to have to go through to turn things around. Yeah, and um, I see that it's it is it can be considered prophecy, but basically the times he w- he was living in were so chaotic, and there was such 
misery then too, that he was just looking at it in a detached way from a distance and seeing this is a mess and it's going to get messier before it gets any better. And that's basically what he was seeing. He was seeing that people really did not believe in God. This is going back to the early 1900s and people did not believe in God. They were, man was just wanting to glorify himself as God, making himself to putting himself in the place of God. He saw all these things, and he saw also the educational system in Italy at that time was what we're really lamenting now, that that our children are being brainwashed, that they're being taught things that are just not right or that are just really very um, contrary to our Catholic faith. So this was going on even then, and it was something actually called, that he called in his autobiography, positivism, in which it's really you're going for the scientific and you're excluding God. Um, and I did look it up. So there, were, there was something at the time called positivism. And so he saw these things. So as much as we can say, yes, they were a prophecy, as the same as like even with um, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, he could see what, where, the, where the world was going. And what, for people who are really in tune, they could tell. This is the way it's going. It's going to keep getting worse before it gets any better. And that's really what's happened. But this was already happening in his time. He just saw the depths of it. He had the insight to really see how, how terrible and how, how, much, how many problems it was going to bring in the future. Well, and, and we see it, you know, continuing today, as you mentioned before, unfortunately. But I think, you know, the interesting thing, and we're seeing this also today, right, is it's the problems within the church, right? The leadership, the priests who aren't faithful, what we're seeing going on with the synod and different things. And that really, that that vision really focuses on cleaning up the church first before the world, because the church is supposed to lead the world. It can't be the other way around. And until the church gets it right, the world will never get it right. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, too, you know, nowadays, a lot of people, especially a lot of young people, as far as I, I, I see, is that they're looking back to pre-Vatican II and thinking how much better it was then. Father Delindo really takes away that illusion because things were really tough there. There was things going inside, going on inside the church at that time as well. And a lot of, I mean, so many abuses. He was really persecuted very unfairly. He was treated very badly. And yet he still held on to his love for the church and loyalty to the church, even though many members in the church were were corrupt and were doing things that were not right, were accusing him of things, persecuting him, really just really in a way almost trying to drive him crazy because I don't know if you know now, he had his priestly faculties taken away from him for almost 20 years. He could not celebrate mass. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did read that. Was it because he was speaking the truth? Was it because there was jealousy? What was, why were they really, we saw the same thing happen with uh, St. Padre Pio as well, right? The yes. attack upon him. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, um, 
it started with a certain woman, a situation with a certain woman that actually he was only partially involved with, but he refused to back down from the truth that he was saying. And that kind of started him on the trajectory that put him under the microscope so that anything he did was really scrutinized like, oh, that doesn't sound good. And, you know, he was actually advocating for things that he was accused that were novelties and maybe and things that were wrong he shouldn't be saying. He was advocating for mass in the vernacular, for vigil masses, for more frequent communions. He was advocating for these things. And then he also had a group of, of um, there were mostly women in the group. There were also some men, but mostly women. He was accused of wanting to ordain women. He was accused of all sorts of things which were not true. But he had to go and defend himself with the holy office, which is no longer, um, does not no longer exist, the holy office. But and there were so many abuses there. And then they said, you are not guilty. You are innocent, but you still cannot celebrate mass. And he said, why? I'm not, I mean, he was like, you didn't even know how to really respond to that. I'm, I'm right. innocent, but I can't stop. And then he, and then he said, do they think I'm unbalanced, mentally unbalanced, not crazy? Oh no. If we thought that we would have sent you to the, to the insane asylum. And he's like, okay, so I'm not mentally unbalanced. I'm not guilty but I can't celebrate mass. And they're saying, well, I mean, like, really, I mean, it's almost a way to cause somebody to go mad because they just were not giving him clear answers. They kept, he had to undergo several psychiatric examinations, evaluations, and he always came out very, very sane, very balanced. It didn't matter. They would do it again. Then they would say, you can't. So it was really one thing after the other. But, you know, um, Deacon Jeff, this whole thing was really, as Father Delindo himself saw, it was really desired by our Lord, by Jesus, because he, since he was unable to celebrate Mass and to have any of his priestly faculties confession, he wasn't even able to have um, spiritual children. He would not, was not able to direct people spiritually. Yet it gave him the time to do all this writing. It gave him the time also to really focus on music. And that's something I don't see very much on the Internet. He was really a great musician. He composed many liturgical, much liturgical music, songs. He would sing. He would play play the organ. And this was all without any lessons or background. So that, too, was really a miraculous gift. And he would sometimes play the organ, and it, it would really come up from the depths of his soul because he was in the midst of so much suffering. And then people would say, oh, can I have the score to that music you played? And he would say, no, it just came out. It was just spontaneous. So there's a lot of his music somewhere archived, somewhere around that is waiting for musicians to get a hold of and to do something with. Well, and, you know, we mentioned, uh, you know, St. Padre Pio, and they were contemporaries, right? Father Delindo lived from 1882 to 1970. But there's even quotes of uh, St. Padre Pio saying, why are you coming to me when you have a saint in Naples referring to Father Delindo, right? Exactly, exactly. And as far as I know, they only met once in person, but they both knew about each other and esteemed each other very highly. And the one time that um, that they met in person and... Father Delindo asked for a blessing from St. Padre Pio, and St. Padre Pio said to him, you always want blessings. You... In your soul is all of paradise. 
And that comforted Father Dwinda because he really, even though he was trying, he was really living, growing in virtue, living a virtuous life. Still, he's like, why am I being treated this way? Why can I not celebrate Mass? Why are all these things going on? He was still a little bit conflicted. And when St. Padre Pio told him that, it really gave him the assurance and the comfort that he was searching for. Well, another similarity, right? They both had the stigmata, right? No. That is not accurate. That oh, is that not isn't. accurate okay. at all. I saw that I online. Have, okay. I, I've seen that online myself. And actually, um, with my, I have a little YouTube channel. One of the videos that I made is actually um, saying some of the things that I found online that are not true. Um, okay. Father Delindo never had the stigmata. There's no picture of him ever with any stigmata, which is one thing. And then the other thing, in none of his writings, I've never heard anybody that I... Um, that I trust say that he has had it. So he has not had it unless, I mean, maybe he had invisible stigmata, but as far as I know, he did not. Also, another thing I've heard online, which you might have as well, is that he was father of St. Positive Pio spiritual director. That has been online as well. And I said, no, he was not. There's no, there's no evidence. There's no proof. There's no writing about that at all. They both had a very great esteem for each other. And I also saw or heard that, he, um, that he was a Franciscan Capuchin. No, he was not. Um, Don Dolindo, Father Dolindo, was a diocesan priest in Naples. He did, for a very brief period, he was part of that, uh, of a group of the uh, missionary priests where he went to the seminary. They actually kicked him out. They kicked him out after a year or two, so he was really not part of that order, that religious group at all, you know, for very long at all. And then he was a diocesan priest in Naples for the, well, he could not celebrate mass, but he was still a diocesan priest in Naples for the majority of his life. And then when he could celebrate mass, he stayed, he remained in Naples. He did go to a few other places very briefly, but basically he was born, raised and lived in Naples, Italy. And, and he was not, he was a third order Franciscan. He was very happy and he actually lived in a very Franciscan way really loved poverty and simplicity and humility. Well, what about the fact that, you know, I've read that, you know, he was paralyzed the last 10 years of his life. Is that accurate? That is accurate. Yes. Yes. He was paralyzed and he still managed to, to very slowly do things and to write and stuff, but he did, he was paralyzed for the last part of his life, the last 10 years. That is accurate. Well, you know, when you when you see, you know, kind of the totality of his life and and the challenges and the faith he had and, you know, he, he referred to himself as Mary's little old man. I mean, he was such so devout to our Lord and and uh, has such a relationship with the Virgin Mary. It's not surprising yeah. that when you read the Surrender Novena, I mean, his life just becomes just like pops off the Novena when you're reading it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he really lived it so much with his great love of Jesus, or as he would say, God alone, Jesus alone. And of course, where Jesus is, Mary is always as well. And when he was, when he did get his priestly faculties back, he was so excited. He was going to the, to the church and he, and he told, he asked the, the person who, um, who reinstated him, he said, oh, can I go and celebrate right now? Can I go? And they said, yes, go. go. And so he was going. And, and as he's going there, he's thinking, should I go and do, I forget what it was, but should I go and do this first or should I go and celebrate mass first? And he didn't know which to do. So he said, Mama Mary, take me by the hand. You tell me what to do. 
And so he didn't go to celebrate mass right away, but he went and saw this, these other priests that actually had him celebrate a special mass and they had a little reception for him afterwards. So even there, when he doesn't know what to do, he asks our Lord and our lady. Well, and he, he really is a witness that, look, things are going to happen in our lives. It's going to be a challenge, right? That he, he embraces this redemptive suffering. And so he really can be someone as we grow in relationship with him. He can help us in our challenges, whether it's personal, work-related, health-related, whatever it is, because we know those things are going to come. And we really do need that assistance to help us, you know, see things from God's perspective, not our own. And that, and, and uh, Father Delinda really had that gift. Absolutely, yes. The more you get to know him, the more you read about him, the more you do his surrender novena, the closer you get to him, you see really how to suffer well. And that's really what our, all our lives are really about. How do, we, how do we love well and how do we suffer well, which is really the same thing. The more we love our Lord and our Lady, the less all the issues in this world can affect us. Yeah, they're still going to affect us. They're still going to, there's still going to be problems, but the less they'll, they'll affect us. We'll still have the perspective of heaven and of God and of Jesus and of Our Lady, which is really what we should be focusing on as Catholics. I mean, yes, there's problems and there's always going to be problems. Father Delindo lived through World War II, and I mean, there was things going on in Naples at that time as well. So, I mean, we're living through very chaotic, very, very scary times right now, too, with all that's going on within the church, out of the church, within our own families, within, within actually the soul of every person. There's a lot of people who are very confused and really straying from God and don't even know their identity because as St. John Paul II says, the more we know Christ, the more we know ourselves. We find our identity in Christ. And if we're looking for it outside of Christ, we're going to just be very confused and really not find it. Well, and there's this great embrace, unfortunately, of this prosperity gospel. And what Mm -hmm. Father Delinda reminds us of is that faith doesn't keep us from challenges. It allows us to deal with them. And unfortunately, people think, you know, if I have faith in God, then I should be rewarded without the challenges. And it's exactly the opposite, right? We can't get to Christ except through the cross. And Father Delindo is a perfect model for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. That is it. We think that if we say that enough prayers, we go to daily mass, then things are going to be okay with us and with our families and with the world. And that's absolutely not true. It's going to be okay if we unite ourselves with Jesus and Mary. Then we're going to look at all the problems in, in the, in the, being consoled by Jesus and Mary, being in their presence. And that makes all the difference in the world because the scariest thing about being alive is feeling like you're all alone. Nobody understands you. Nobody can help you. Nobody, you're unwanted. You're unloved. That's really what's terrifying. But if you look back even on some of the worst things that have happened in human history, when there have been people there together offering their hand, offering their support, offering their heart and their ear to listen to other people, that makes all the difference. Almost any, I think anything can be supported if we really feel that we are loved and wanted. And the only way to really have that, that nothing can take it away is by being close to Jesus and Mary, because they always love us. They always want us. Human beings can 
can disappoint us, can do things. But if we are connected with Jesus and Mary, then we're going to be different in our relationships with other people. And those people themselves, when, when they disappoint us, we're not going to take it that bad because we have Jesus and Mary. But if we don't have that connection with Jesus and Mary and people betray or disappoint us, that can be devastating. Well, and, you know, even when the church was persecuting Father, right, people around Naples and and, and Italy knew about his holiness, right? They would come to him for healing. They would come to him for, for guidance. So even though the church was persecuting, people could see that holiness, and it's a reminder to all of us, right? We're called to be a light at our baptism, and that that light, no matter what happens in our lives, will still shine for people who are looking for that guidance. Yes, that's absolutely it. People were still seeing his holiness and coming to him, and because he really couldn't have couldn't have spiritual directees, people would come to him for his music, and from talking about his music or this this melody he had arranged or whatever, it would go to other things, and they would become close friends, and it would become a very a very um, beautiful relationship. So yes, people, and then when he did, I I don't know if you've heard, he he actually did so much writing because he had the time because he wasn't able to to be a priest to um to do have his priestly faculties he actually did a, a lot of writing he wrote many books including a 33 volume commentary on scripture mhm yeah, yeah he he was a you know and again it's it's funny from this infused knowledge you know how he shared everything with everybody right it wasn't you know, to make yourself feel good, it was to go out and, you know, he was given this gift to be able to share like the talents and, and he did it quite well, didn't he? Very well. And as a matter of fact, the commentary started because some people who knew, who about, who, who respected him greatly, asked him to speak to a priest who was having a very difficult time. And when speaking to this, who had really, um, stopped praying, stopped um, going to, hadn't gone to confession, was not even doing his um, divine office, the readings, who did not like scripture. He started scripture study with this one priest and a few other people who had brought the priest to him. And from that, the first, he started with Genesis. And from that, the commentaries began, not because he thought, oh, I'm going to write, you know, a 33 volume or, you know, a huge series of commentaries. It started because he was ministering to a soul in need. Well, really, you know, time always goes so fast. We're down to about the last, you know, 30, 40 seconds or so. But Maria, how can people follow what you're doing and get to get to know Father Delindo in a more intimate way? Well, there's a couple of things. Um, I have a little YouTube channel, and it just has my name, Maria Palma Smith. You have to put the Palma in because Smith is such a common name. And um and then there's all, that's my little YouTube channel, and it does have the story of Father Delindo receiving infused knowledge and some other stories on his life, as well as other Catholic content. And then um, there's a woman named Maura McKeegan, if people like to read articles and blogs. If you look up Maura McKeegan and Father Delindo, she actually has um, a substack that people can subscribe to and read more about Father Delindo. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.